that really might have just been one of the craziest nights in the history of combat sports. Not only did we crown the undisputed champion at super middleweight the first time ever, not only did we see one of the best, if not the best, lightweight fights ever, not only did we see a strawweight champion reassert their dominance on the former champion, we also saw perhaps, or someone who's on course to becoming one of the best to ever step foot in the octagon. It was a crazy night in the world of combat sports. Canelo Alvarez stopped Caleb Plant in the penultimate round of a quite gripping undisputed title fight to take all the marbles at £168 just moments before Kamal Usman steps in there and really cements himself as the best welterweight on the planet, beating Colby Covington via unanimous decision. We're going to wrap it all up here on this latest episode of Catchweight. It's going to be a good one. The Mexican faithful descended upon Las Vegas to witness the biggest superstar in boxing, Saul Canelo Alvarez, in a quest to make history. And he was successful in that quest, becoming the first ever man to hold all the belts, the four major belts, at super middleweight, the undisputed champion, a historic achievement in the already illustrious legacy of Canelo that is etching itself into history more and more by each passing fight. It wasn't easy though, it wasn't straightforward, despite being heavily underfavoured, despite being written off by almost every pundit around the world. Caleb Plant put up a tough fight and lasted until the 11th round. He gave Canelo a lot of problems. He gave Canelo plenty to think about and he made sure that Canelo didn't have his way for most of the fight. But of course, when Canelo was able to land that power eventually, when the feet slowed down of Caleb Plant, that was Canelo's time and he pounced on him and there was little saving Caleb Plant at that point as Canelo hoisted the IBF, WBA, WBO, WBC and ring magazine super middleweight titles aloft in front of a sea of Mexican partygoers to become the undisputed champion at 168 pounds. Unprecedented. Congratulations to Canelo. What a fight it was. Canelo is known for being a slow starter but I think Caleb would have been very happy with how he started that fight himself. He was very quick with the jab. He was staying away from the ropes for the most part and doing very well just to get a glove or just to move out of the way of the hooks that Canelo was somewhat telegraphing early on in the fight. He was just ready to go in there and get him out early doors, it seemed like, which was giving Caleb a lot of opportunities to use his trickery. Caleb was still holding back of his own. We didn't really see that right hand going as consistently as you would have thought. He was just happy to stay behind that jab. That jab did land a lot. You could see Canelo's head getting snapped back on multiple occasions and him just shaking him off and going forward, which must have been intimidating and possibly possibly terrifying for Caleb Plant for him just to not be able to keep Canelo off him for more than a matter of a few seconds and that is where not only the physical taxations of the pressure come on to come into play but also the mental side of it. Caleb Plant had nothing to keep him off him and he knew that Canelo was just going to walk him down and it was almost an impending doom at some point which is why it's miraculous that Caleb was able to get to the 11th round. I think one of the key turning points here was when Canelo decided to get behind the jab for himself. Often he was just leading with the right hook or left hook to the body, which was easy for Caleb just to either move out the way or cover up. When Canelo began to throw the jab either before or after the power punches is when Caleb Plant's night got increasingly more difficult. You could liken Plant's jab to a piston, fast, quick, efficient, whereas Canelo's wasn't as fast in that particular sense of the word. It was more of a bludgeon. It was extremely powerful, and it was a power jab. It was a power punch in its own right, and it just 
completely stifled Caleb Plant, just gave him a whole lot of other things to worry about rather than him having to just duck the head, which was another problem that we talked about when he would keep his hands low and just dip to one side. It was only a matter of time before Canelo would detonate that uppercut, but it did take a long amount of time before he was able to find that opportunity. To his credit, Caleb Plant proved to be far more robust than many people had expected him to be. Of course, he had been through a lot in his personal life. His story is inspiring. Inside the ring, he was much less tested. And that's where the intangibles began to favour Canelo with all the ring experience and all the greats he had shared the squared circle with. When it came to it, Caleb Plant was willing to take a lot of punishment and willing to keep going. Yes, his feet began to slow down. He was beginning to wear a lot of the punishment. Of course, the body shots that Canelo invested early were taking their toll as well. That is probably why Caleb began to slow down despite feeling in shape for 12 rounds. But the Tennessean continued to land those sneaky counter shots throughout the fight, which would just be more of an annoyance rather than something that stifled Canelo. Never did we really see him rocked or taken aback. There was one time where he was sitting on the ropes trying to bait Caleb Plant in, but Caleb Plant, being hesitant and being cautious, knew that was just a trap. It was very interesting to see Canelo just wait there, and he was going to try and land an overhand right when Caleb committed, but Caleb stayed to his game plan, stuck on the, stayed on the back foot, and didn't fall for that trap. As the fight progressed into the later rounds, it became a bit more evident that Canelo was now in control. It had been a tough few rounds to navigate. It had been quite even, but I think Canelo was taking more of the rounds convincingly because Caleb was on the back foot. From around the 7th or 8th rounds is where the fight began to trend in a downwards direction for Caleb Plant. It's where his output began to decrease, his feet got slower, and Canelo, almost somewhat fueled by that decline, began to up his own ante even put more pressure on than he was doing throughout the fight which was already a considerable amount and that's where he began to really pick his shots dig to the body even more get behind that jab and just rough Caleb Plant up and there it was only a matter of time I thought Caleb Plant would have been on his way to make his way to the final bell he looked pretty much that he had his wits about him until he didn't until it was that combination that Canelo needed Canelo was looking for that left hook all night long and Caleb did very well to evade it for as long as he did but when it did really land and then Caleb dipped into the right uppercut that was the beginning of the end and ultimately it was a Caleb plant jab that looked so slick so swift early on in the fight that would be labored and that would allow Canelo to pick his spot for that counter shot Caleb plant stumbled back to his feet was walking to the corner to try and get his wits back about him. The referee let him continue, and then Canelo swarmed on him. When Canelo smells blood, he is as ferocious a force as we have ever seen in the boxing ring. Just look at the time when he rallied over 80,000 Mexicans in the AT&T Stadium in Dallas to finish Billy Joe Saunders. It was a similar scenario here today with the volume all the way up to the max in the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Canelo just pouncing on Caleb Plant, landed a couple more shots, another left hook, a jab, a right hand, and I think it was a final right hand that just Caleb Plant collapsed, went down to the ropes, and that was the referee calling it off. And then the scenes after that were all too familiar. Canelo basking in his greatness, basking in yet another historic achievement, the most historic achievement of his career so far, before his coach, Eddie Reynoso, hoisted him aloft on his shoulders, paraded him around the ring with everyone in Vegas, the heartbeat of Mexico at that point, just applauding and taking in every moment they can of this very, very special fighter. The best boxer on planet Earth right now has done it again, and what a way to do it. What another challenge it was presented to him, a slick boxer. He has had trouble with slick boxers in the past. Erislandi Lara gave him a tough challenge. Mayweather, of course, beat him. Amir Khan had some success before he was knocked out cold. Caleb Plant had as good a night as most could ever dream of having against Canelo, and it still wasn't enough. When the chips were down, in the heat of the battle... 
Canelo had plenty of experience to rely on, whereas Caleb Plant had little in that department. And ultimately, Caleb Plant has never been hit by a guy who can crack the way Canelo has done. Caleb Plant did very well to block and to negate that power for most of the fight. But when he landed flush against a tired and now somewhat broken, not necessarily spiritually because Caleb Plant is as mentally strong as you'd ever see in a boxing ring, but with those shots to the body and just a general fatigue, it would be the beginning of the end for Caleb Sweethands Plant, who had made a great account for himself throughout the fight night. Well done to Caleb Plant. We'll see if he comes back and has another crack at super middleweight. What's next for Canelo? The world is well and truly his oyster. Fighter of the year in the boxing sphere as far as I'm concerned. You've got wins over Avni Yildrim, which was of course just a stay busy fight, a mandatory. But then look what he's done to Billy Joe Saunders and Caleb Plant. Two elite world-class super middleweights. No messing about. He's a free agent. He's going to the promoters to get the fights. No wasting time defending those belts. And he has unified the super middleweight division within the space of a year. This is unprecedented for Canelo Alvarez. What an achievement. It was a fight that for the most part was an interesting clash of styles, but one that soon relied on its intangibles when the fight was in the 11th round. This is where Caleb Plant, rather than having a perfect unbeaten record, the glamorous zero that is so highly regarded in boxing, a loss may have benefited him more beforehand if he had that experience of losing and had the experience of being pushed to the brink like that because when you're going from such little experience being tested to going in there with Canelo there's always going to be that what if question which Caleb Plant will have to face in the post-mortem of this fight he has had it made an excellent effort but you just wonder if he had that experience beforehand where he had been in the wars and had been in there with the very tough hard hitters who are going to push him to the very limit that he'd have the experience to rely on and to leverage and he maybe could have fought in the fire and went in the pocket with Canelo a bit earlier on and maybe had success in that way. There's always going to be these what-ifs, but this is a lesson for a lot of boxing promoters and boxers. We saw it with Billy Joe Saunders. We saw it with Callum Smith. Not to say that these fighters are protected or they're ducking anyone, but they are straying these bigger challenges or these more lesser favourable challenges for that golden shot, for that golden ticket for a Canelo fight. And this is where you can come unstuck because, yes, you'll get the Canelo fight. Yes, you'll get the big paycheck and all the huge plaudits and attention that comes with it but when the chips are down in the heat of the battle Canelo's been in there with the likes of Golovkin he's been outclassed by Floyd Mayweather he's knows how bad it can get inside a boxing other than getting knocked out whereas these fighters their true test comes against Canelo and it's going to be very hard for them to pull out something like that when they haven't got any experience as remotely close to that so it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him next which fighter can step up to the plate of course, we want to see him at light heavyweight. I think that is a big challenge now against the likes of perhaps Betabiev or Bivol. A shot at the light heavyweight champion once again. Of course, he beat Sergei Kovalev in the November 2019, although that was Kovalev on the decline, if we're being honest here. The hard-hitting Betabiev, the only world champion in boxing with a 100% knockout ratio. While he is ageing, he is still a very big threat to a Canelo who was undersized against Kayla Plant. He's going to feel the size and the strength a lot more at light heavyweight. Or maybe Dimitri Bivol. The good relationship between Canelo and Hearn, and Hearn, of course, managing Bivol, could make a pathway for that fight. But for now, Canelo wants to rest up until May. He has earned it. Very rarely do we see a champion at the pinnacle of the sport with all the eyes on them, with all the drawing power, be this active against such big fighters and big challenges. There was a Yildrim fight. That was a stay busy one. He had the Saunders fight ready to go, and he dispatched Yildrim like, with absolute ease, went into that Saunders fight, overcame the challenges of Saunders to shatter his orbital bone with a lethal uppercut and then here 
had to deal with a lot of jabs, had to deal with a lot of awkwardness from Kayla Plant, but he got the job done and he got it done in some style. Canelo is well and truly at the top of the pound for pound list and this is an achievement that will begin to just edge his name further into that all-time great category that I think this part of his career is about him trying to get into now. As a Mexican boxer, he is you know, competing with Julio Cesar Chavez for the best Mexican boxer to ever step foot in the, the ring, but he could also be up there with one of the best ever boxers to step in, into the ring. Of course, Floyd has that win over him early on in his career, but the way Canelo is building a legacy now, rather than being protected under De La Hoya, where they waited a bit too long for that Golovkin fight, Canelo is going out and chasing these challenges and taking on these big fights. Fair play to him. It's good to see someone like him in boxing, a real throwback fighter, and it's someone we can truly appreciate. It would be nice to see him at light heavyweight, but maybe they'll go with David Benavides, which I think could be another issue that we saw Saunders, Smith and Plant, the unbeaten fighters face, when they've not been pushed to that limit. Of course, he had the draw with Andre Durrell, who had a good win on the undercard. He called out Canelo. I think that'll be lower down the list personally, but a good win for him on a otherwise decent undercard. Not on paper, but it did turn out to be quite entertaining nonetheless. When you look at what's next for Caleb Plant, this is a loss that will definitely sting. He carried a lot of self-belief against the odds and a lot of people were writing him off. It must have been very hard to keep that positivity in camp when people were joking at him, especially to be, I would say, embarrassed like that in a press conference, to go for a slap and Canelo to just counter him and punch him like that. Which I must touch on, it was good to see both embrace at the end. Canelo incredibly respectful, apologising about the press conference incident. Likewise, Caleb Plant with a lot of admiration for Canelo and his team. So in terms of Sweet Hand's next step, of course, a bit of time off now. This is a loss that will sting. But this is also a loss where he's shown he may be the second best or perhaps the third best super middleweight in the world. And depending on where Canelo goes next, if he does decide to defend the undisputed titles, or if he decides to go elsewhere, go to light heavyweight and give that a shot, it will be extremely interesting to see him back in the mix. I think there is a big spot there for Caleb now. I can see him becoming a big star after this fight with just the way he was able to hang in there with Canelo and give him a couple of problems. And, you know, he gave it a real good go. So respect for Caleb Plant. But of course, congratulations. The night belongs to Canelo. He is at the very top of his game. They're all wondering when he's going to slow down. He's been a veteran of the professional boxer game for 16 years. He's showing no signs of it thus far. And his next conquest may only make things even bigger for him. Canelo Alvarez still on top. The undisputed super middleweight king. Now, you'd be forgiven for just keeping one eye on that fight because we had the clash of all clashes on Saturday night. UFC 268, a massive card on the UFC's return to Madison Square Garden, clashed with Canelo versus Plant. So we had a strawweight title fight between Rose Namajunas and Zhang Weilai on at the same time as Canelo versus Plant. We had the two screens out at the catchweight headquarters. I'm sure many of you did as well. It was impossible to keep an eye on both. But the UFC 268 card was a banger in its own right. The main event seeing Kamal Usman defend the welterweight World title defeated Colby Covington over a unanimous decision. Colby was brave. Colby was lucky to even get out the second round after being rocked very badly in the closing seconds of that stanza. He was able to fight on, give Usman a couple of tricky moments, a couple of scary moments where he buckled. And ultimately, Usman was able to see it out and win the bout, ultimately putting a close to this chapter for now. But this, the show stealer, what everyone came to see, what everyone expected to be the show stealer, maybe even exceeded those expectations. Justin Gagey and Michael Chandler went to absolute war in a hellacious three-round barn burner. Perhaps one of the best fights we've ever seen. Definitely fight of the year at the moment in my books. 
Justin Gagey winning that one on the unanimous decision ruling. We're going to break down the whole UFC 268 card. It was a real good one in New York City. So it was a pretty average night until an unsuspectingly looking heavyweight by the name of Chris Barnett, a big guy in his own right, decided to throw a spinning wheel kick out of nowhere to knock out Gian Vellante and then proceed to do a front flip into a seat drop inside the cage, a viral moment. And from there, the night just got a whole lot crazier. Chris Barnett, the dancing Spanish-born heavyweight who doesn't look like a fighter at all. You'll see him and you wouldn't expect it to be knocking out people for his day job. But that's exactly what he did with Gian Vellante. They had a decent fight. Both fighters carrying a lot of baggage, shall I say. I don't want to be too harsh, but they're two modern heavyweights at their finest. And Chris Barnett landed a good well, not a good, a superb, stunning spinning wheel kick out of nowhere. We, we don't see heavyweights of his size and his stature land those very often. Joan Valente went down, a couple more strikes, and that was all she wrote. Barnett was celebrating like an animal, flips into sitting, uh, the splits position almost on the cage. It was just crazy. You've surely, you've surely seen that clip. If you haven't, it'll be making its viral way around to you at some point. Then after that, Ian Gary, a generation below Conor McGregor, one of the kids inspired by Conor McGregor during that spectacular 2015-2016 run, gets his debut in the UFC. The former Cage Warriors champion knocks out Jordan Williams in the last second of the first round, and he was getting pieced up before then. The jab of Jordan Williams had Ian Gary's nose all reddened up, and then out of nowhere, with around 10 seconds to spare, he cracks him with a short right hand, and from there, Jordan Williams crumbles, he goes down to the canvas, and he is soon written off a statement-making night for Ian Gary. And of course, what better way to announce yourself in Madison Square Garden as an Irishman by name-dropping and quoting the most famous Irishman to ever do it inside the octagon, Ian Gary, saying we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. This is a second coming of Conor McGregor. Could it be? It's an Irishman who's brash, who's confident, who has knockout power. Let's just see how far he can go, but a very exciting debut for Ian Gary. It wasn't the best of nights for the next young prospect on the card, Edmund Shabazian being dealt his third straight loss and another brutal one. He was brutally stopped by Nasruddin Imavov in the second round, some lethal ground a pound in the crucifix position. The Ronda Rousey managed fighter had been derailed by Derek Brunson initially, had a tough loss to Jack Hermanson later on, and now has taken another loss in a very unfavourable matchup to him against Nesodin Imavov. Shabazian needs to take a bit of time off, I feel. These are three bad losses that can affect him physically and mentally. And the UFC didn't do him the best of favours. When you come off a loss to Brunson, you're fighting someone as tough and as robust as Hermanson, and then you go in there with Nesodin Imavov. Yep, yeah, I mean, it was a recipe for disaster and unlucky to Edward Shabazian, but Imavov is getting a bit of momentum. Philip Hawes looked in control, looked like he was about to knock Chris Curtis out, and then... Chris Curtis just turned the tables on him and, and caught him. And that was all she wrote. Bobby Green with a big win over Alaya Quinta. Bobby Green with one of the best post-fight speeches of the night as well. He just caught Alaya Quinta flush. Alaya Quinta went down. He tried to, to come back up. But, you know, that was the power of Bobby Green. His boxing is incredible. Very slick style. It's very fun to watch. And it's good to see him still doing his thing in what has been an incredibly and perhaps surprisingly active year for King Bobby Green. And then to the big statement maker on the preliminary portion of the card. The UFC are very high on Alex Pereira. They placed him on the last big prelim before he we went into the pay-per-view portion of the card. If you don't know Alex Pereira, 
he has one claim to fame, or one perhaps that is significant to us as UFC fans. He is a man that knocked out Israel Adesanya back in the glory kickboxing days. And he announced himself to the UFC with a ridiculous flying D knockout of Andreas Michaelidis. And he has announced himself to the middleweight division under the bright lights of New York City on such a big card. He has done it with a spectacular knockout after having a very difficult first round. He did have his jiu-jitsu acumen to rely on, but he didn't have a lot of success in the grappling department with his opponent. But when it comes to pure combative striking, not many people can hang in there with Michel Pereira. I wonder how the UFC will matchmake him from here on. We, of course, know that against them, strong wrestlers like Derek Brunson, he may struggle. Will they just give him the more favourable matchups, the striking battles where he can win and perhaps get that fast track to... Israel Adesanya a shot at the middleweight title. What a big money fight that would be if Michel Pereira could get there and he has made a perfect start to doing so. Now, if there was ever a way to kickstart a huge UFC pay-per-view main card, Justin Gagey and Michael Chandler showed how it's done. This wasn't initially the plan, of course. They were a co-co-main event, the third biggest fight on the card, the biggest non-title fight on the card. But Trevor Whitman's coaching duties meant that he'd be coaching Gagey, Namajunas and Usman back-to-back. So the UFC gave him a bit, a bit of a break and they put this Gagey and Chandler fight on first. And what a fight it was. These two fighters always were going to pop out of the card whenever they were on matched against each other just because of what they bring, how fan-friendly their styles are. But I don't think even many of us would have expected it to be as crazy as it turned out to be. Right from the off, Justin Gagey slams Michael Chandler with a leg kick. Chandler comes back with a jab that rocks Gagey slightly and from there on, both men are just winging. Chandler is going to take this guy's head clean off. Gagey, not quite so much, but he still has that intent in his punches. There was a combination of thumping calf kicks, right hands and a couple of jabs in between. But both fighters were going for it. They were trying to inflict on as much damage on one another as possible. Despite Chandler getting off to some good success early on and rocking Gagey for a moment. He saw the legs go of Gagey at one point and swarmed him against the fence. Gagey came back with some punches of his own and the fireworks were on from there. Michael Chandler even managed to land a flying knee amid that chaotic round, one of the best rounds you'll ever see in the lightweight division. But it came at a cost to Chandler, that fast twitch muscle fibre, that very explosive style does come with its drawbacks, which is of course a mean, mean cardio dump. And from the second round, Chandler, who was already marked up, cut above the eye, cut under the cheek as well, I think the nose was bloodied as well, was feeling the pace off this three-round barn burner, and he was lucky that the UFC didn't make it a five-rounder at that point. Gagey then landed a ridiculous uppercut that dropped Chandler in his tracks. Chandler somehow managed to survive by just gripping onto the leg for dear life. Gagey decided to stay on top when he... I thought he could have broke earlier, but maybe he was a bit discombobulated at that point. We saw so many punches landed, and Chandler from there was losing a lot of the sting in his punches. He was landing against Gagey, but he didn't have him rocked the way he had him rocked in that first round, and it was more Gagey doing a lot of the damage. But with that being said... Chandler, like an absolute psychopath, begins to walk him down. And in the third round, even when Chandler is there for the taking and he looks like he's ready to go with the leg completely gone, he's pretty much on one leg, having to fight in Southpaw for most of the fight. Gagey's still throwing heavy leather at him and Chandler's smiling and encouraging him to throw more. is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And this is a fight that we could watch for years and years again. It's one of those timeless classics. What a, what a shame it's, it wasn't five rounds, right? But I think Chandler was very lucky that it wasn't five rounds because he, he would have got brutally stopped as opposed to losing the decision. Still, Chandler managed to save some energy in the end for a big takedown. He slammed Gagey onto the ground. Gagey scrambled back to his feet. And then 
Chanda threw two tornado t- kicks among the rest of the chaos. And then the two embraced after that as well. An unbelievable fight. 15 minutes of mayhem. What an unbelievable scrap. A brilliant Herculean effort from both these men. And a one that will have a lot of title implications going down the line. Justin Gagey, his first fight since being dethroned or failing to take the throne of Habib Nurmagomedov in the Russian legend's last ever fight in the UFC. Justin Gagey returned today against the last man to fight for the title, Michael Chandler, and he beat him pretty convincingly over three rounds and got the job done. And now he's surely going to be in the mix, maybe for a crack at the Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira winner. Of course, Makachev is hanging around. Maybe Makachev and Gagey could be a fight to make. That would be stunning. The second coming of Khabib versus Gagey. There's a lot of storylines going on in this lightweight division, but Justin Gagey is well and truly up in the mix now. They may even put him as backup for Oliveira and Dustin. Maybe that's not a good idea, though, when you consider that. He's just been through an absolute war for 15 minutes. As for Michael Chandler, he has proven to be one of the most exciting fighters on the roster. This is an incredible debut year. Yes, he's lost two of his three fights, but each fight has been thrilling, exciting, and it's been a highlight reel throughout. The first one, he knocks out Dan Hooker. Second one, he has Charles Oliveira in trouble, touching distance with of that lightweight title, and then gets stunningly knocked out. And here, he had Gagey in a lot of trouble, but Gagey just had the smoke for him, and it proved to be an absolute classic. What a fight that was, and what a way to spoil us for the rest of the main card. And then, as a result of that, what followed was an incredible lack of gratitude for a quite solid fight that followed. Shane Burgos getting the unanimous decision win over Billy Quarantillo. Billy Quarantillo did not get out of his face for all three rounds, despite being tired. He cracked him with some good shots. Burgos was being the more technical fighter when you would have expected that Burgos was ready for war. Quarantillo's legs were badly beaten going into that third round, and he was just a leg kick away from being finished, similar to the way Chandler was. But he worked well in the clinch, managed to see out the fight, and it was Burgos who takes a unanimous decision win. It's a shame that fight didn't come on before Chandler versus Gagey because the fans would have been even more wild going into that fight. But, you know, it is what it is. Sometimes timing is very important in this game, especially when it comes down to cards. Now, speaking of timing, talk about someone at the end of their career and someone beginning to find their groove. Marlon Vera with the biggest win of his career against Frankie Edgar. It wasn't going all his way. Marlon Vera, who was taken down in the first round, controlled on top. In the second round, he did better to spring back to his feet and land some strikes. And in the third round, he landed a hellacious front kick to the chin of Frankie Edgar after teasing some teeps to the body and making F- Frankie fall for the feints. Frankie was out on his feet as he got back up when the referee stopped it. Some brutal ground and pound. And that was all she wrote. Marlon Vera with a huge win. And it's tough to see Frankie Edgar get beaten like this. The loss to Sanhagen was brutal. And here he is now suffering another brutal defeat. Another highlight reel defeat. This is a guy who's been a legendary stalwart of the UFC for many, many years. And now he's at that tail end of his career where it's sad to see him being put in there with killers who are going to do some serious damage to him. But now let's move on to the two title fights on the card. Rose Namajunas and Zhang Rilai went back to back in their rematch after... Rose Namajuna stunned the Chinese superstar with a head kick just um, mere seconds into their first meeting back in April. This time round, Zhang Rila would go all five rounds and she'd put up a stern test against Namajunas. I feel Namajunas was able to control the fight. Importantly, the range, whether the fight was in, on the ground in the grappling exchanges or in striking range, she controlled it very well for the most part. Had a couple of scary moments where she was stumbled, but Namajunas did more than enough, I feel, to take the win on the judges' scorecards. There were a few people who were appealing it for uh, Zhang Rilai and they appeared to have some logic because one judge did score in favour of the Chinese fighter. I couldn't personally see it that way but it was a brilliant effort from both women. Zhang had plenty of success with the leg kicks to hinder the movement of Namajunas. Namajunas came out light on his feet moving from side to side just trying to catch 
Jean Gordon angle, but the leg kicks did do well to slow her down, and the grappling was very impressive from Jiang. I think she did manage to impose herself at times, but equally, Namayunas had positions where she was able to mount and have a lot of success, especially in that definitive round, which we'll move on to shortly. This was a technical battle we were all anticipating that first time round at UFC 261, which of course didn't happen because Rose ripped up the script. This time round, there was a lot of feints. Namayunas trying to float in and out before Zhang could land her combinations. And Zhang, she does carry a lot of power, but that comes with the drawback of staying in that window and that pocket for a bit too long. And it did allow Namayunas to light her up at some points, not as much as I would have expected or not as much as we saw in the first fight. And of course, Jiang would land her power at some points, especially in the second round where she was stumbled with a left a left hook, hard left hook. Namunis' distance did allow her to stay safe for most of the fight, though especially in that third round. The overhand was beginning to land a lot more as well. Namunis was really able to use her range, which is something she continues to improve upon under Trevor Whitman, being able to really make use of that range, that slender frame. Few people will match her for those physical attributes at the 115th pound division. But these rounds were incredibly hard to score. Like after that, in the third round, I believe it was Zhang who got the takedown and mounted Namayunas. After Namayunas did the same in the third round, there were both compromising positions for both fighters. When it came to the championship rounds, that's when it really began to get even closer. And it was a case of just management from Rose Namayunas, which I feel won her the fight. Zhang tried getting the back of Rose, who defended very well. But could that control time and that threat have won her that round? There was no doubt who would win the fifth round though and I think Zhang will be kicking herself when she watches that back because she had opportunities to spring back up to her feet. Either she was too tired to or wasn't aware of them or didn't think she needed them and thought she had done enough to win the fight. Namayunas managed to time that takedown perfectly at around the three and a half minute mark of the fifth round, able to keep Zhang down, able to land enough to keep busy and to maintain position, avoid most of the up kicks as well and the fight just fizzled out from there and that ultimately sealed the fate for Namayunas. I think Zhang... Let, let it slip away there in that point. She could have tried to get back up to her feet and made something happen. She didn't. And that's why Namayunas is still the strawweight champion of the world. A fantastic effort. These two may meet again down the line. There is a bit of a backlog of contenders now. We've got Marina Rodriguez and, of course, Carla Esparza waiting in the wings for their shot at the gold. So I think the UFC want to clear that backlog up. And if Namayunas and Zhang are still standing again after that, then they may have to run it back for a third time. This was an extremely engrossing fight, a very technical one, and one where Namayunas was able to for the most part, manage it well to use her attributes, her range, as opposed to Zhang's strength. So Zhang definitely had the strength advantage in that fight. She just didn't use it enough going into the late rounds where she could have really benefited from it. And she'll be kicking herself looking back at that. But Nami Yunus for now, still at the top. Her successful streak in New York continues. The fight was overshadowed a bit by the fact that it was going on at the same time as Plant and Canelo. But I'm sure many people will get round to appreciating it over the course of this week. Solid effort from Nami Yunus. Zhang did very well as well to re-establish herself and she dealt a lot better with the nerves and the hostility from the crowd this time round. So plenty for her to build on as well. But it is Nami Yunus's moment. She is a strawweight queen and now can she go on to build a legacy similar to that of Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunez? Only time will tell. And after that wild night of blood, drama, knockouts and everything in between, there was still chaos to come. By that, I mean chaos Colby Covington. The American fell short in his second shot at the champion Kamaru Usman, but it was some fight and it was some effort from Colby, who was almost done in the second round. Colby fully embraced the role as a heel, playing Kurt Angle's theme music as he made his walkout with fans serenading him with the famous You Suck chants. 
When the fight began, Usman took the centre. Colby was cautious, very wary of the power, which had only seemed to increase since that first fight at UFC 245. Meanwhile, Colby was loading up with hesitation, kind of pulling back a bit at his shots, despite swinging wildly. Then Colby kind of changed things up a bit, which I thought he needed to, to have some success in this fight. Colby has the wrestling credentials to challenge Usman, perhaps, and he showed that with an early single leg takedown attempt. Usman did very well to sprawl, sprawl that and fight it off, but it was just something to think about and another element for Usman to try and tackle and some another problem for him to deal with. Then it was Usman who timed the takedown very well when Colby rushed in. Covington did eventually manage to scramble back to his feet, but that's when Usman began to really get behind the jab and he could feel the power, the thud of those punches, and unlike any other welterweight in the UFC right now. Usman started to bank up those body shots as well in the second round, them almost shovel kind of hooks to the sternum, the midsection of Colby, who landed a couple of left hands, a couple of kicks, but it was beginning to look like Usman's power was just a bit too much for him. And we saw that in the final seconds. Colby did land a left, but he was caught with a big left hook that stunned him face first. Colby sprung back up, smiled, tried to cover up, and Kamaru caught him with an even harder shot then. And there was some more ground and pound. Colby managed to just grab onto the legs for dear life. And in a sprawl position, Usman just punched the ribs off Colby continuously until the round expired. But that was where Colby's big litmus test came. And it appeared that the writing could have been on the wall. But to his credit, Colby recovered very well and had his wits about him in the third round and had his best spell of the fight up until that point. He landed some good straight lefts. Usman was staying patient, getting behind the jab. But there were a couple of moments where Usman's head wasn't moving off the centre line and Colby did manage to tag him. I wouldn't say Usman was very badly wobbled, but you know there were shots that just made him think a little bit and made him just take his foot off the gas and just remind us to be a bit cautious. So to not start a debate over whether this was a takedown or not, Colby may have got a takedown against Kamaru when he got his back in the third round and managed to drag him down. Kamaru's gloves and knees touched the ground. He popped back up again and he didn't have the control for that long. But I don't know, maybe that was... That, yeah, I said I wasn't going to start the debate, debate, so I'm going to stray away from that. But Colby managed to, you know, at least lay some grappling prowess on him, so on Usman, just for another thing to think about. Then came into the championship rounds. Colby had a lot of success, stuns Usman briefly. There were chants of Colby now ringing around Madison Square Garden. He tagged him with some combinations. He was building. Usman was still coming with body shots and was never really swarmed against the fence like you'd, you'd think. But the body kick was the moment where a lot of Usman fans may have been stopped in their tracks and think, right, Colby is turning it up here. Usman was hurt a bit by the, the body kick. Usman wasn't wasn't backing down there. He didn't really shell up. He came back and swung at, at Covington. And then there was a big shot at the end of the round where Usman's legs did seem to stiffen up then. But, you know, it's the way that Usman moves that he's not necessarily hurt. It just could just be the, the way he strangely moves or possibly the canvas as well. But I think he was cracked at the end of that fourth round and it made for a very interesting predicament going into the fifth round. So I think the first round was clear for Usman. Second round clear, perhaps, perhaps a 10-8 when you consider the, the damage done, but it was late in the round in the final second, so if that's a 10-9, so be it. And then Colby in the third round did have success, but I think Usman may have done more to secure that round. That was a very close one. That could have gone either way. You probably would have to favour the champion in that one, though. But this round was definitely for Colby, and it made the fifth round very, very interesting. It did come down to a make-or-break situation for Colby in the fifth and final round. It all came down to this, and it was the Usman jab that really made the difference, I feel. You saw the the eyes wobble for 
Colby with an early jab in that fifth round. Colby was still trying to throw heat. He did land the uppercut, which was a bit of a scary moment for Usman, but Usman continued to get behind that jab and stay patient. And I think he didn't go for the kill at that point because there was caution there. Colby was still throwing a lot and still dangerous at that point. So Usman was able to work behind that jab and I poked towards the end, but Usman had done enough to win the fight and couldn't put that punctuation on it, which is probably a a compliment to, to Colby with the way that he was able to stop Usman from really going for it and at the end Usman was willing to resort to his very powerful jab and keep Colby away in that manner. It's one of those fights where the judges aren't even in agreement but you can't blame him. It was very close but I think you have to favour the champion here based on a couple of watches that you know Usman did do more of the consistent work. Colby had a couple of his moments but Colby's land, landing may have been more more strange for us to see just because we're not used to seeing Usman hit like that and react like that. There could be other factors going into it, but yeah, Usman did more than enough, I feel. The jabs were brilliant. The second round could have been a 10-8. Regardless, I think Usman did enough to win the fight. And yeah, it was a pretty convincing win. Initially, you'd want to see the trilogy just because of how gripping it was. And there's kind of that impending sense that as the fight would go on, that Colby's chances would increase. But, you know, Colby's had 10 rounds to try and crack the Usman code and he hasn't been able to. He'll have to go not to the back of the queue, but somewhere in the middle for the time being. We've got the big grudge match between Jorge Masvidal and Leon Edwards coming up in December, where a win for Leon will almost certainly cement him well, it should certainly cement him a title shot against Kamal Usman. As for Masvidal, I think regardless of the result, I think Masvidal should be next for Colby. Colby definitely wants that fight. That's another big grudge match that they could co-main or even headline a big fight night or um, co-main a big pay-per-view. And Colby will work his way back up. He has shown that he may be the second best welterweight in the world. Of course, number one is well and truly head and shoulders above the rest Kamal Usman for the time being. How long that will last, we don't know, but he's in a very, very special era of his career now where he's beaten everyone, a couple of them now twice. He's lapping the opponents on the track and he's continuing to dominate and stamp his authority down in this division. Up there with GSP levels. I'm not going to delve into the GSP-Usman debate because we could be here all day and I could upset a lot of people. But it's one of those things to think about when you have Usman now being regarded in that category. It just goes to show the work he is doing. He's putting in an outstanding shift as king of the £170 division. And who would have thought, eh, at the end of the fight, a bit of an embrace, a bit of respect shown between the two, some words exchanged, a handshake offered by Usman, taken by Colby. We would not have expected to see that. A kind of good ending for now to this bad-blooded rivalry. But then, of course, Colby, Colby switched that gimmick right back on at the press conference. And, you know, he's going to be back to sell those pay-per-views. And he may be calling Kamal Usman's name very soon in the future. We'll see if Usman's still around for that trilogy fight. It'll be very interesting to see how Colby continues to adapt. But he had a very good showing. He had a very respectful outing against Kamaru. The way he rallied back from that second round was brilliant for his stock, I feel. And he's, of course, got that huge fight with Jorge Masvidal around the corner now. That is enough to raise his stock for the time being. And that will keep him very well in the title picture for, for now. Kamaru did what he had to do. Colby was dangerous, but that jab of Kamaru is winning of fights. It knocked out Gilbert Burns and it as good as did the job today against Colby Covington. He managed to just keep him at bay and disrupt his rhythm. And then, of course, he threw them power, that power shots behind him. There were a couple of moments where Usman was hanging his head in, but that is kind of a, a bad habit, but one that is a signature of him almost at this time now just to kind of hang his head in there for a bit too long like like Zhang Wheeler does just that window of timing just seems to be a bit longer for him to get his head out of the way into safety 
But clearly, he's doing a lot of things right because he has strung together a historic title streak. He is in there with the likes of GSP when people are comparing him. Is it a th- case of recency bias? I don't think so at this point. He has built together an outstanding resume against a very, very tough competition of modern welterweights. And that's something you can't discredit. I feel he wants to give Leon that fight just because of how long Leon has been waiting patiently for that title shot. But after that, there could be Vicente Luque. And of course, there could be one Hamzat Chemaev. What a shock that we're mentioning his name, but he is not too far from that picture now, especially with how high he has skyrocketed with just his first four fights. If he beats a ranked opponent, a top five maybe, which I wouldn't be surprised if they give it to him next, then, you know, Kamaru could be next for him as well. It's going to be very interesting. Kamaru is still very busy despite, you know, almost clearing out a division. He's in a, a position where you would have expected him to clear out the division, but welterweight just keeps on cycling. And you've got Hamza, you've got Vicente Luque, just they keep bubbling to the surface. And Usman is never going to be able to clear out this welterweight division because that is probably just the nature of the welterweight division. But he's done a great job in knocking off these adversaries like Jorge Masvidal, like Colby Covington. Perhaps Leon Edwards is next. We'll see how it all unfolds. But for now... It's just about capping off a great year for the consensus fighter of the year. He started the year with a big win over Gilbert Burns and then knocked out Jorge Masvidal to welcome fans back to the arenas and then took on Colby in a very tricky five-round fight, got the job done and established his dominance even more. Kamal Usman is unmatched. He's a pound-for-pound number one fighter in the UFC. And like we were talking about Canelo, Canelo's number one boxing. I'm not here to... Um, entertain any of the talk of those two going at it I think they should leave it where it is boxing and UFC are in their own lanes now there is no need for Kamaru to take that time of course he'd love to get the payday or as Canelo says payday payday but that is not what he should be focusing on and now Canelo and Usman the similar the similar theme exists they're both trying to really etch their names not only in today's great greatest fighters they're already at the top of those lists they're trying to etch their names into history and Saturday night was a huge step in that direction for both men congratulations to Canelo congratulations to Kamaru Usman at the very top of the fight game thank you very much for listening we'll see you guys soon <laughs>